So we are going to be in the book of Romans, and today we're going to look at Israel, God's chosen people. Love this. Romans chapter 9. By the way, I turned on the AC. It was getting a little stuffy. As it rains, um, it, it gets more humid in the air. So if it gets cold, let, let someone know. <laughs> Maybe Miss Hattie or someone, and we could turn that down. Okay, anybody too cold? No? It was getting a little stuffy because it gets more humid. And as the bodies fill up in the room. All right, can we please stand if you're able to? We're going to start in Romans chapter 9, starting from verse 6. We can start reading here. Romans 9, starting from verse 6. It says, But it it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the fact that you did have your chosen people, your elect. It is Israel. Forgive us, Father, because so many of your children here, including me, one of my early years of learning your word, were taught some things that were not biblical, that you had forsaken Israel. But that's not the case. And that's why you had the Apostle Paul write Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. So help us to study your word, to know your text within this context. Help us to not quote you out of context like so many people do, Lord. Forgive us for that. But help us to simply part the pages of Scripture, reading through book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, understanding your text within the context where which you had written it. You just use Paul as a person behind the pen, so to speak, Lord. But God, this is your word. Help us to understand that how you chose Israel. They are your chosen people. No matter what we may think, your word still stands. A grass withers, a flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And you do say that you will bless those that bless Israel and curse those that curse Israel. Help us to understand these things, Lord. But we need your anointing. We need your equipping. And yet again, Lord, prove that you are the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Comfort us here, Lord. Minister to us, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You guys could have a seat if you would. So as we get into Romans chapter 9, it's important again that we remember Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 are all about Israel. All about national Israel. We're talking nations. We're not talking personal individual salvation. That's important. We're talking about God simply electing Israel out of all nations. And so the thought and the flow, logically, as we get into and through chapter 8, that, wow, Jew and Gentile can be saved. We are all justified because of Christ Jesus, of who he is, what he has done, and is justified, never sinned. And because of who he is, He brings even Gentiles into this thing we call heaven? Well then, if God promises us in Romans chapter 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, the logical and obvious flow, again, studying the text within the context is, well, what about Israel? Didn't you devote 39 books, what we call the Old Testament today, what the Jews call the Tanakh? Didn't you dedicate 39 books to the Jews and showing that they are your chosen people? You brought them out of Egypt? Well, this is the reason why Paul puts this in starting from Romans chapter 9. So we're talking about God electing, God choosing Israel as a nation. National Israel is what we're talking about. So to study the text within the context is important. Amen? It's extremely important so that we don't just cherry pick a verse out of its context and then throw you man-made doctrine, which is sadly what's happened. And I actually fell to that earlier on. 
But praise God for what he does in showing us. So this is about God simply electing Israel out of all nations. God is sovereign. This is one of the things that we learn about in this chapter and elsewhere in the Bible. Because he's God, he can choose whatever he chooses to do. So choosing Israel was simply God's choice. Now we can kick against that, which most nations do. Hitler kicked against that. So many nations that the Bible actually chronicles, and still even today. This is actually happening quite a bit in America. Here's what the late Warren Wiersbe had to say about Romans 9 through 11. I want you to see this. Warren Wiersbe. He's considered the pastor's pastor. Love this. By the way, he actually would also teach. He wasn't a Calvary Chapel guy. He also would teach and help pioneer for his portion of the body of Christ, teaching through entire books of the Bible. Praise God for guys like this. Here's what he said. Keep in mind that the election discussed in Romans 9 through 11 is national and not individual. To apply all the truths of these chapters to the salvation or security of the individual believer is to miss their message completely. In fact, Paul carefully points out that he is discussing the Jews and Gentiles as peoples, not individual sinners. Warren Wiersbe. He lived from 1929 to 2019. Again, considered the pastor's pastor. He actually, I I learned quite a bit, still do, from him. So as you and I study God's word, it's extremely important that you and I study and know God's word, the text, within the context. Amen? Okay? What would you think that you're telling a story and someone takes a little snippet of what you said and twist it out of its context, and later on you hear, like, wait, that's not what I said. Does that happen to anybody? That's happened to all of us, right? Unfortunately, that happens all the time. Well, have empathy, have compassion for God. This happens within the body of Christ all the time. So how dare we take his word out of its context? These are the reasons why God devotes three chapters in Romans, Romans 9, 10, 11, to Israel. Okay, so I just want to show you something here. Now, I'm going to display this for a while because this might get a little confusing. So what the Jews understood is that from Abraham, not all were of the children of promise. Abraham had many children. So to you and I today, predominantly Gentiles in the Christian church, we miss a lot of this. So Paul, going through eight chapters in Romans, he's trying to answer what he knows preemptively would be the case. What is that? People would be like, wait, what about the Jews? They're also the Judaizers that would follow Paul around wherever he went, that they thought, oh, you've forsaken your own people. What's wrong with you? That God's going to save Gentiles? And so he's actually answering not just salvation for the Gentiles, but also he has to address that for the Jews. This is why Romans 9, 10, 11 are here. So if you and I look at the family lineage of the Jews, we can see what the brethren, what Paul and the Israelites already knew. So only one child was a chosen child of promise. Which child was that? Isaac. Okay. So we see here on the chart, okay, Abraham. You see the pink here. These are the wives. Abraham's wife. Many of us know this. What was her name? Sarah, okay, Sarai, which means dominative, and then he has a breath of, <sighs> love that, right? And what does her name become? Sarah, princess, dominative to princess. Good illustration. We won't get into that now, but through God's breath, <sighs> breathing life into you, takes someone from dominative to princess. Well, Sarah's handmaiden, you see with the arrow, the red arrow, what was her name? Hagar. Wait a second. God tells us later on, or earlier on, for us, later on in their lives, God's going to tell them in Genesis, he says to Abraham, take now your son, your only son, whom you love. Wait a second. Abraham already had a son. What was his name? Born through Hagar. Ishmael. So you see here in the chart, I just illustrated in the blue, this is the lineage, the family lineage, that Paul assuming that the readers, the listeners, whether Gentiles, certainly uh, the Jews knew this, but we need to illustrate this for us today. So the chosen lineage 
came from Father Abraham. We still have problems with this today, don't we? Where Ishmael is warring with Isaac, right? So the chosen child was Isaac as birth through Sarah. Okay, Paul wrote to the Romans, he knew that there's going to be some Jews that would argue with what he's saying, that, wait a second, the Gentiles can't come in. These heathens, these idol worshipers, you know, all they got to do is have faith that some guy you claim named Yeshua to be Messiah. They, they don't have to keep Torah. They don't have to keep the law. And God's going to declare them as righteous. <laughs> like blasphemy. That's the way they looked at it. So much so that they actually, they love Jesus to the point of what? Death. They killed him. So they're claiming that Paul had forsaken the Jews and the Jewish customs because he's saying that Gentiles now could be saved. This is why he goes into this in Romans chapter 9. So he's trying to address some of this here throughout this chapter, just pointing to the family lineage which leads to Jacob. It's important that you and I understand this because as you go through the lineage from father to son and then father to son, and so on and so forth, we understand that God elected or chose one and rejected the other. We see the next lineage. God elected or chose one and rejected the other. So after Ishak or Isaac, what was Isaac's wife's name? You see in the chart here in, in pink. Rebecca. Now Rebecca had two children. She had twins. Right? Thomas, that name means twin. Well, praise God for modern technology, because you could tell today. Back then, they had to wait till you're born. And, well, there's two of them in you. <laughs> wait, wait, what's going on? Why am I so big? Why am I so hungry? <laughs> so, uh, just to illustrate this on the chart here, and then we'll get into this in the scriptures. It's just good for us to see what the people back then at Paul's writing understood. So, through Isaac and Rebekah, they had two children. They're, they're twins. What were their names? You see it here on the chart. Esau and Jacob. Now, I put on the chart here, Esau became the nation that we call the Edomites. Jacob became the nation that we call what? Israel. Okay. When we illustrate it like this, we could see, okay, God's choosing one, elected one, Isaac, and rejected Ishmael. We learned that Ishmael, that was a work of the flesh, as we call it. By the way, Quick application here. God doesn't recognize things that you do as a work of your flesh. God, you need help. Let me help you along. Go sleep with my handmaiding. <laughs> Not a good idea, right? And so God didn't even recognize this work of the flesh that we call Ishmael. And the Israelites still have a problem today, uh, warring with the Ishmaelites and warring, so to speak, with the Edomites, so to speak, the things of the flesh. So Jacob, God changed his name to what? To Israel. So this is what we're talking about. We're talking not just that God picked one person. It's not personal individual salvation. Romans chapter 9 is illustrating the fact that God simply elected or God chose the nation of Israel and did what? Rejected the Edomites, Esau. Okay, so with that illustrated here, let's continue on. Again, Paul wrote Romans. He knew there were going to be some Jews that would claim that he forsaken the Jews, as well as the Jewish customs. Because why? You're saying that Gentiles could be saved? These idol worshipers? No way. First of all, you've got to circumcise them. You've got to get them to understand Torah and to obey the laws and to sacrifice. Well, what happens then when the temple's gone and there's no high priesthood? What happens on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement? No way. Nobody can get rid of their sin. So this fact that God was indeed allowing for Gentiles to be saved, that is the case. But now we also have to put in and take into account Romans 9, 10, 11. God has not left Israel. So we started with discussion last week. And so today we're going to talk more about how God simply chose. God elected Israel. So he's reminding both Jews and Gentiles that Israel is still God's chosen people. Important for you and I to understand today. So if you think, well, no big deal, just teach the Bible, we'll, we'll go about our merry life, there's an important reason why that we see that's happening right now and in the midst of your lives here today. Even you know, I see greatly 
through the lens of biblical prophecy, eschatology, okay, study of biblical end time events, and even during the time, the short time I've been here, I've been living here in 21 years in New York City, and I've already seen uh, biblical prophecy start to come and be shifted around. Why? We know in end times prophecy that how many nations will come against Israel? All. All nations. That include United States of America? You bet. Okay. So what are some of the inherent dangers of not rightly dividing the word of truth? Well, one of the dangerous heresies that exists is called replacement theology. I'm going to say it again. Replacement theology. Why is that important? Well, a lot of replacement theology adherents will quote Romans chapter 9 and they'll look at it as, well, this is about personal individual salvation. They won't, they'll hide the fact that God is actually talking about the, f- the fact that he chose, he elected Israel, they're his chosen people, and they'll look at it as God replaced Israel with the Gentile Christian church. Has anybody ever heard that? Has anybody heard of the BDS movement? Maybe you heard it from me last week. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, medical condition, <laughs> like IBS or something else. BDS movement, boycott, divest, sanction. I'm actually going to show you in a little bit. Uh, that's very, very strong and a big push, even politically today, especially those with the liberal left. You think about like AOC and, and many of the liberal left, they're pushing against or to with this big BDS movement to boycott Israel, divest, don't invest in Israeli banks or anything to do with Israel or even companies that invest in Israel, sanction Israel, slap sanctions on them, get them out of what? Palestine. But according to God's word, what is God considering Palestine? West of the Jordan River. What do you call that in the Bible? The promised land. The promised land. So by not knowing our Bibles, there's a big movement that actually has infected Christianity. And I, as a preacher of the word of truth, I want to be able to, and as a pastor, I need to warn the flock. Make sense? So replacement theology is somewhat synonymous with reformed theology. I'm not saying to hate our reformed brethren, but you might want to help them to know the Bible. I'm just going to state it very plainly. Many churches and Calvinists might hold to replacement theology, but replacement theology would believe that the Gentile church has replaced Israel in the Bible and that God's promises in whole that were given to Israel in the Old Testament are now replaced by who? Gentile Christians in the Christian or Gentile church. But part of it, not all of it, part of it comes from incorrect interpretation of Romans chapters 9, Romans chapter 10, and Romans chapter 11. This is why you and I must study this and know now we come to this verse, okay, leave no stone unturned, teach and preach throughout every book of the Bible, every chapter and every verse. We come to something like this. I'm just going to teach it because this is what it says and also want to warn you, if we don't believe what it says, we can actually fall to, let's say, heretical teaching. So let's be sure to read and study God's word, what he says, within its context. Amen? And not take God's word out of its rightful context. Here's some of the dangerous ways that replacement theology is currently playing out in the world around you and I right now today. This is in, within recent years. So if you were to go to the BDS movement website... This is a real thing. BDS, Boycott, Divest, Sanction. I just pulled this this morning. I accessed this. I put it on the slide because I know this is going to be broadcast around the world. And here, I don't want to get hate mail from this. This is just teach the Bible and let's warn of what can happen if we don't quote God's word within its context. So the BDS movement you have here. Uh, by, by the way, this is a web page, an article I pulled off the internet just today, this morning, and I put here at the top in red, in the red box, those, those are my words, the BDS movement is to boycott, divest, and sanction Israel. So Christians who believe in replacement theology, which is synonymous with reformed theology, are more and more supporting the BDS anti-Israel movement in favor of supporting Palestinians to rid the Jews off of God's promised land. That's a mouthful of a statement. 
and that alone will probably get me in trouble or you know, get hate mail. Not in trouble with God, but in trouble with poorly informed supposed Christians. Sadly, this will likely play into the end times prophecy where all nations, including the USA, will be against Israel. Why? Because I'm saying it? No, because God says it. All nations will be against Israel. And sadly, I, I heard about that years ago, like the 80s, the 1990s, while studying God's word. I'm going to Calvary Chapels where, where they were teaching about God's view of the end time scenario. And I'm like, how can that happen? Because that includes the United States of America. We're so pro-Israel, or so we thought especially with those current administrations that were going. But we're seeing in the recent years, the recent decades, that a lot of American Christians are actually supporting the BDS movement. It falls right in line with what God says do not do and what he says will happen in the end times. So we need to study and understand God's word. So here's the headline. You can read this article off the BDS Movement website, says Palestinian Civil Society Salutes Presbyterians on Divestment Resolution. If you don't know what Presbyterians are, that's a denomination. Okay? There's a group of Presbyterians. There's different groups or different sects within the Presbyterian Church. This is quoting the Presbyterian Church USA, or what's commonly known as PCUSA, a very large denomination headquartered here in the United States. Very large, tons of churches, uh, a lot of mega churches that you would know about that are in there. Okay, so many Presbyterians, because of their man-made doctrines and them supporting what is now called replacement theology, they'll read Romans 9, 10, and 11, and they replace these. They're like, no, 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 that's speaking about personal individual salvation. No, it's not. You can't do that with God's word. That's poor theology that's actually incorrect doctrine and very, very poor scholarship. But because of not reading and knowing our Bibles, a lot of people, not just Presbyterians, and I've got a lot of friends that are Presbyterian. Uh, Susan, my wife, is Korean. There's a tons of Korean Presbyterian churches. Do they read the Bible? Most of them, no. Do they know much about the Bible? No. So whatever they're taught and spoken to, they'll just fall in line with. So, Sadly, a lot of these man-made doctrines are basically the conjured up by Satan. So many of our brethren, they're falling into Satan's trappings to boycott, divest, and to sanction Israel. They're sanctioning God's chosen people. And God says, this is the promised land. And what politically is known as Palestine. Anybody hear of that? Okay, Palestine. It's called promised land. And so this movement is trying to kick Israel off of God's promised land. Let me show you another one. Second of three articles. I just pulled off a couple articles. Here's another one off the BDS movement website. It says, BNC welcomes call by Christian organizations urging the World Council of Churches to support the BDS movement for, notice what's politically being stated, Palestinian human rights. You hear human rights, you think, oh yeah, I want to support that. Oh yeah, boycott Israel. But without reading the Bible, who are they targeting here with this article? The World Council of Churches. Who I looked this up. The World Council of Churches today supposedly is comprised of churches, denominations, and church fellowships that represent over 580 million Christians. 580 million Christians. So again, sadly, these are Christians that aren't correctly reading their Bibles and they could easily take on a false narrative that Israel is no longer God's chosen people. A lot of this comes out of a false interpretation of Romans chapter 9. And then what happens? Well, if the Gentile Christian church replaces Israel, then get rid of them is what a lot of them might be thinking. They don't support Israel. They'd rather support Palestinians. And guess who many of them are supporting? They're supporting Ishmael and Esau. Isn't that scary to think of? It is, I think. Here's the third and last one, and then we'll continue on. So uh, what I'm sharing with you now is God's word says this. Here's some of the inherent dangers if we don't believe what God simply says and take him out of context, that we're going to actually be persecuting God's children. A little different, but not so far off of what Hitler did. I'm not saying we're killing Jews, Okay. But what I am saying is we need to pray for Israel. We need to support Israel. And this is the reason why many Catholic chapels 
us as a whole, we're not a denomination, but many Calvary chapels, including ours, we want to support Israel. Amen? Okay, God has chosen Israel. So here's another article, a third and last one. And you're like, finally, get over it. <laughs> but I just want to show you some of the inherent dangers that are right now during your lifetime has happened, and it just snuck right in because we're not reading our Bibles and we're not preaching the Word. So we need to, as the Bible declares, rightly divide the Word of Truth. Here's what this article says in this headline. Divest in Israel. Presbyterians should support Palestinian aspirations. And so someone will read that, and someone that's a Presbyterian, maybe, or Reformed in their theology, or Calvinist in their doctrine might go, oh yeah, I should boycott Israel. I should sanction Israel. I should divest. Don't invest in any companies, HP or any other company that's investing in Israel. So this is a call on the BDS movement website asking all Presbyterians, we're talking Christians, these are brethren, sadly, to support the boycotting, the divesting, and sanctioning of Israel. So once more, many Presbyterians are reforming their theology, and they take on a replacement theology, which is heresy. It's heresy. So their view of the end times, especially as you read and interpret Revelation, they don't take it literally. They'll say, ah, well, when God's mentioning the 144,000 or the Jews which it reverts to once the predominantly at large Gentile Christian church or the church at large around the world, which we believe is going to be the rapture of the church, what's the only answer to then in Revelation how the church is not there even mentioned as ecclesia, church, or even figuratively in Revelation during the end time scenario? How is it then that we're not here and <clears throat> God then focuses back on Israel See, their view of the end times or eschatology, their end times prophecy, would be very skewed very differently. Okay. So sadly, these are Christians that aren't correctly reading and what God says, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay. So in light of these things, I just want you and I, as we come to a verse and a chapter in a book like this, you know that I'm not, out, I'm not like on my soapbox, like, Drew, you say this every Sunday. No. We're teaching through the Bible and we get to Romans chapter 9, this is something that must be stated. Now, 20 years ago, I didn't know of this BDS movement, and neither did you. Okay? It was by Satan, I think, slowly swelling up. And now within recent years, these articles that I just displayed that you can find on the BDS movement website are apparent. Okay? But in light of these things, you and I must be simply Christians who rightly divide the word of truth. Amen? We must read and study and examine everything through the lens of God's word. Make sense? Amen. All right, so in so doing, you and I need to know Romans chapters 9 through 11 are teaching about the topic of Israel. It's not speaking about personal, individual salvation. All right, so let's go back. We'll look at this chart. Keep it here. So back in Genesis 22, God tells Abraham, and if you're taking notes, this is Genesis 22, verse 2. God told Abraham, <clears throat> take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. By the way, that's the first time love is used in the Bible. It's here. It's a father's love for his son. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Did Abraham have another son at that time? Yeah. Ishmael was the firstborn son. Ishmael was the older son. But God didn't recognize that work of the flesh. He tells Abraham, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. You can go back and read that later on. Okay. So as we recall at that time, Abraham already had his firstborn son. Again, what was his name? You can see it on the chart here in red. Ishmael. But Ishmael was not the chosen child of God. You see the point of Paul here? He's going to quote this passage and bring this out to show that, no, one was chosen, the other one was rejected. This is all it is. And he's not talking about this just this person because then it would start and stop it would die with that person's death. But no, what he's referring to is the lineage that would come forth, that this is a nation, and this is a challenge today. The Jews 
are supported by God. So Ishmael was sim- simply not the chosen child of promise. Which one was the child of promise? Isaac. So Ishmael was a work of the flesh. Let's continue on now. Romans 9, we're continuing on in verse 9. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebecca had, uh, Rebecca also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that, notice it says, the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. All right. So a couple of things here. Esau and Jacob, again, they were twin brothers. Which one was born first, though? Esau. So according to family heritage for the Jews, Esau should have had the most respect, the, the firstborn's right. Esau was born slightly earlier than Jacob, but who's the one that God chose? Jacob. Okay. So notice in verse 12, when it says, the older shall serve the younger. God was looking into the future, wasn't he? The foreknowledge of God. That was quoted, that the older shall serve the younger. You can read about that in Genesis 25. Here's what it says, verse 22. But the children struggled together within her. And if you moms know, like sometimes that, that baby can kick. Imagine you have two in there. Oh, psh, oh, psh, oh, psh. <laughs> right? Children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Today, you just go to your doctor. And they're like, oh, let's do a sonogram, <laughs> right? And the Lord said to her, this is Genesis 25, verse 23. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Did he say two people are in your room? Two nations are in your womb. So what's the focus? National Israel, not personal individual salvation. Two nations, got to state that and emphasize that, are in your womb. Two peoples, not just two individuals, two peoples, plural, shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. God, through his foreknowledge, was looking into the future. So we got to keep in mind the topic, again, of Romans 9 is on national Israel here. By the way, when did that come about where the older will serve the younger? If you're taking notes, 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 14, when D- King David, he reigned as king in Israel, God's prophecy came true where Esau or the Edomites would serve the Israelites. We got to know the Bible. So Paul's point here is to the the Jews, the Judaizers, you should read your Bible. You should know the Bible. Okay. So 2 Samuel 8 verse 14, here's what it says. Quote, he also put garrisons, speaking about King David, he also put garrisons in Edom. 2 Samuel 8, verse 14. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons. And, quote, all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. So God started to fulfill that prophecy that he gave to Rebekah while she's still pregnant. From Genesis 25, the older shall serve the younger. came about in 2 Samuel 8 when King David was in charge many years later. All right, so a couple of things I got to point out here. Notice in verse 13, God knew that Jacob would become the nation of what? Israel. And Esau again would become the Edenites or Edomites. <laughs> so this quote is from Malachi 1, verse 2. This is actually many years later. You find this in the last book of the Old Covenant or Old Testament. Malachi 1, verse 2. It says, I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, and what have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. God didn't tell this to Rebekah and then back then. This is now stated through Malachi's book, the last book of the Old Testament, right before Matthew. 
Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. So, again, God was looking forward into what would become national Edomites and national Israel. This hated, think about this, is God teaching us to hate people? No, this hated is not like you and I think of it. The hate is in relation to how we are and in comparison with our relationship with God. You remember in Luke 14, verse 26, Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Is Jesus teaching to hate people? No. We remember that. So keep in mind the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments is to honor your what? Father and mother. That's one of the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20. So obviously Jesus is not going against that he's not teaching you and i that we got to hate people even hate mom and dad no in relation to our relationship with him it's as if we would hate so to speak other people because our love for god would be so much greater that's the context okay again jesus was teaching that in luke chapter 14 so notice again once again this doctrine of election is regarding the nation of israel why do i mention this why am I harping on this? You're like, Drew, just keep going forward in the chapter. Get into chapter 10. It's because you'll hear many people are brethren. They're, yes, if they're born again, they're born again Christian brethren in the family of God. We'll spend eternity with them. But many of them, uh, the Calvinists, certainly many of them, and definitely those of Reformed tradition, they'll hold the doctrine of election from Romans chapter 9 they'll say that it's teaching on a person's individual salvation. How do I know that? Because I bought into that. And later on I learned that's a heresy. Because then it's like, okay, riddle me this, Batman. How does God deal with Israel then? He doesn't according to that heretical belief. Okay, So it's taught elsewhere in the Bible that God deals with personal individual salvation. And he even taught about that throughout these eight chapters. You and I could be saved through Yeshua being Messiah and through His works you could be justified with God. And elsewhere in the Bible we learn about God electing or choosing us but that's not what God is teaching in Romans 9. Make sense? Okay. So again, Romans chapter 9 the point of God through Paul's pen writing about chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11, especially here in Romans 9, is that God elected the nation of Israel as his own special chosen people. That's it. So if you think there's some crazy messianic Jews out there with these big ministries, they're all like chosen people ministries and about how God elected them. Why, why is it that they're so pro-Israel? It's because that many so-called Christians to a lot of these Jewish believers and thinkers, they're kind of following the line of the you know liberal theology and, and the liberal political left while they're trying to get rid of the Jews. And you think, that is so scary. Okay, So what we want to do from Calvary Chapel and from this church and from this pulpit, as long as I'm alive, is to be pro-Israel and to teach God's word within his context. So I'm not pro-Israel because, oh, I just love Israel. Because God tells me to in the word. Amen? And he'll bless those that bless Israel and curse those that curse Israel. Make sense? You want to be in God's blessings? Pretty simple then. Okay? That's it. Let's continue on. There's a lot of other things we could say, but we've got to continue on. Verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. So by the time you get to this passage, some people might sit there and go, wait a second. That's not fair. That sounds unrighteous. Why would God choose or elect Israel? And what about the other nations? That's not fair. What about the Edomites? What about the, you know, fill in the blank? What about the Japanese? It's like they're not even mentioned. There's dozens of nations, right? What about them? That's not fair. He's preemptively answering that there. So Paul now anticipates that because God elected the nation of Israel, as some would claim that it's not a righteous thing to do and not choosing other nations. Now he's going to mention Moses, and I'll mention Pharaoh. For he says to Moses, verse 15, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. 
So then it is not of him who wills. It's not your willpower or what you do or him who runs. You can run toward God or try to be you know, righteous with God or whatever, but of God who shows mercy. So God simply chooses whom he wants to show mercy and compassion on. And he's going to use Moses and Pharaoh as examples. Is not using it as a doctrinal template. See, God chose to harden Pharaoh's heart. This is how you get saved and how they won't. That's not the point of what his mentioning this in chapter 9, 10, and 11. This is all about national Israel. Verse 17, For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. All right, so verse 17. We've got a challenging passage, but God raised up Pharaoh to show his power against what nation? Was it just the individual Pharaoh? And then Pharaoh dies? And then, okay, it's gone. He wanted to show his might, his power against what nation? Egypt. Let me ask you today. Do the Jews still celebrate and commemorate Passover? Pesach, is what the Jews say. Yes, centuries later, they still do. And when they tell the story, is it just all about God's power against Pharaoh? Or is it how God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt? You see how even the Jews today, in their celebration and commemoration of this, what we call Passover, what the Jews call Pesach, it's not just about individual, personal. Okay? But we do learn here, okay, Pharaoh, he was the world power at that time in Egypt. In the book of Exodus, what you're going to see is over and over, yes, it does say that Pharaoh hardened his heart in the book of Exodus. And God even preemptively tells Moses that God's going to harden Pharaoh's heart as well. It's like we have that challenge then where you got man's responsibility and yet the sovereignty of God. How do you reconcile them both, this side of eternity? You can't. You can't. Okay? And Thus, the challenge here that people take this and go, okay, see the slam dunk deal for Calvinism that God elects you personally, individually for salvation is Pharaoh from Romans chapter 9. No, it's not. Because Romans chapter 9, God is teaching you and I that simply he chose Israel. And they still commemorate and celebrate the Passover. But yet, we do learn when you study the book of Exodus, just as God told Moses that Pharaoh would do, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he hardened his heart over and over. God also hardened Pharaoh's heart. It's seemingly in the path that Pharaoh was already taking against God. How do you reconcile that? Don't know. Okay. But you do have that for centuries. As the Jews celebrate and commemorate the Passover, they recall God's power. They'll tell the story of the plagues. Keep in mind, what is this about? Is it just about one person? Or was it how God, if you study the, the plagues of what happened when the Israelites, as a nation, Israelites, they were in Egypt, there's a nation there. Remember, the plagues affected who? Which nation? The Egyptians. And God's protection was against which nation? The Israelites, the Jews. Okay, And so that's one of the things that they'll commemorate and celebrate in showing how God made a separation between the Israelites and the Egyptians. Okay, It's good to remember this. So as we study Romans chapter 9, it is teaching basically the overall theme is that God's electing the nation of Israel. Okay, That's it. So therefore this passage is not saying as your proof text, see God teaching about person's personal and individual salvation and using Pharaoh as an example, it's not. Has anybody ever had that uh, pitch to them? I have, and I fell to that before. And then I started reading the Bible and started to learn that, wait a second, you take a bigger picture approach, study the text in its context, Romans chapter 9 is about God choosing Israel. So this doctrine of election is really not how God elects you for personal individual salvation as a Gentile Christian. It's how God elected Israel. So to take that out of his context, just like we heard from Warren Wiersbe, it's like we're missing the point of the passage. All right, so let's continue on. 
Verse 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? So let's say you're a potter. You're, you're getting a lump of clay and with one lump of clay, you could take some out and you form a bottle, a cup to drink from. And from that same lump of clay, you might go, hmm, I also need a toilet. I want to make a toilet. <laughs> okay, so is that your choice as the potter, the designer, the creator? Yes. So since God is a potter, and he's much bigger than a potter, he can make anything he wants out of a lump of clay, including me, including you, including all of us. He can make an animal. So God can take the clay, he can make a beautiful cup. Okay, Of course, man makes this out of plastic, but God can take you and form and fashion you with the same lump of clay, he can make a toilet. He can make whatever. <laughs> I mean, think about it. He can make a bowl. Let's continue on. Verse 22. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Again, is Paul writing about, is God speaking about individual personal salvation? Or does he say Jews? And does he say Gentiles? Yes, he does. Okay, so verse 24 mentions, even on us whom he called. God was long-suffering. Was he long-suffering for you? Patient? Yes. He had long-suffering, he had patience with us Gentiles as a people. God had mercy on us Gentiles. Verse 25, as he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. Therefore they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have been made like Gomorrah. So God is going to call a people who are not his people, his beloved. Is that including you? Yes. Okay. So Jesus, the good shepherd, is going to get others, including us Gentiles, predominantly in this church, who will be part of his people. Now let's continue on and just close out the chapter. Verse 30, what shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Can we all stand, please? And we're going to close with a word of prayer to finish out this chapter. So you and I are reminded that we Gentiles have a righteousness with God, but it's by faith. Amen? It's not by the works that we can do, but faith in Jesus who did the righteous works. While Israelites, if they're pursuing to attain a righteousness with God by their traditions, by their works, by trying to live according to the law, by Torah, they're not going to attain to this righteousness. While you and I, and this is the struggle, even with Jews today, they may look at you and I and they think, what's wrong with you? Some, some Jews think that we Christians, because we talk about a trinity, they'll look at us, they think we're polytheists, that we believe there's three gods. That's not the case. So Israelites pursuing God, but by their own righteousness, 
but not by faith, they're not going to attain to righteousness. Why? Because it's not through Messiah Jesus. While you and I simply approach the Father through who? Through Jesus Messiah. There's only one God and one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. So notice it says Jesus is a stumbling stone, as it says in verse 32. So the exhortation is simply to be those who believe on him who will not be put to shame. And so, Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you, Father, that we predominantly here in this fellowship are predominantly Gentiles, Lord. We weren't born Israelites of one of the tribes. Most of us weren't. We thank you that you gave us righteousness and it's through your Son, Jesus, who's our Messiah, our Savior, our great High Priest. And by faith in Him and what He has done, He did the work on the cross and said, it is finished. And we can have a right standing with you and it's through your Son, Jesus. It's a righteousness that we can attain with you through faith, simply believing what you say in your scriptures. And we ask, Lord, that you would use us that as we go about our day today and as we go into the world, go throughout our week, as we come across your chosen people, as we come across Jews throughout this city and beyond, Lord, that we can pray for them, that we can, Lord willing, we could be used by you to be a source of light. Open up our hearts. Use our words, God. Anoint us, Father, But help us to remember that you did choose Israel. They're simply your elect chosen people. While you did choose us for individual personal salvation, we are studying through your book called Romans, and we're in chapter 9. And we thank you that you did choose. You did elect Israel. You chose this path that we study through this lineage. You chose Isaac, not Ishmael. And you chose Jacob, who you changed his name to Israel. Chose him, not Esau, Lord. Help us to see these things. And help us to support your chosen people, Lord. Help us to be used by you to preach salvation through Yeshua, that he is Messiah. He's the Savior. So they won't fall to the false Messiah that's to come. But God, anoint our words. Use us, Lord. And yet again, Father, we do ask, last but not least, that you would empower us to remember that you are the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Please continue to minister to and comfort each and every one of us so that we can grow for your glory. For we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said,